I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. Your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 136. Today on the show, Dan and I are joined by Wired to Hunt contributor Josh Hilliard, and we're discussing the latest and greatest new bow hunting gear and our experiences at the 2017 Archery Trade Association show. Hello and welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Sitka Gear. And today it is January 17th, I think, as we're recording this. And me and Dan are finally back to the real world after the chaos last week at the Archery Trade Association show. And that's what we're going to be primarily talking about today. That's the, you know, if you're not familiar, if you didn't hear our past episodes about this every year, there's this ATA show. And it's the biggest bow hunting and hunting industry show of the year, um, other than shot, which is a little more shooting focused. So big show where all the big retailers and manufacturers come together and show off all the newest products, what's new, what's the latest and greatest, et cetera, et cetera. So today, Dan and I are going to be talking about that, and we're going to be joined by my good friend and hunting buddy, Josh Hilliard, who came along with me last week for his very first time to ATA. So we're going to get a an ATA virgin's perspective too, and uh, we'll talk about all of our favorite products, our thoughts on the show, our thoughts maybe on the hunting industry, uh, and a whole bunch of stuff like that, Dan. So uh, what do you think? Is that is that a good idea? Let's talk about it. Do you, you have some thoughts on the hunting industry, right? We don't need to get into it right now, but you do, right? <laughs> we'll cover it when we get Josh on the phone, uh, and I'm sure there's going to be some questions. It's not necessarily about the industry. It's just lack of focus on certain things. Yeah. Yeah, we had some some good chats about that last week. So, uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll get to all that stuff once Josh joins us here in a few minutes. Um, but I do want to make a point of mentioning one thing here, Dan, before we get to that. Okay, what is it? Last time we talked, I gave you a hard time about not hunting in the late season. I really gave it to you. and And since then... You've made up for it, so I want to give you credit for that, Dan. You did go out and hunt. Congrats. I'm happy for you. You know, I think I just went out to my backyard and put a tree stand up. I faked a hunt just so <laughs> you'd get off my back. 
Yeah. Well, it was effective. <laughs> yeah, I turned the I turned my flat screen television towards the window, and I was close enough to the house to actually just flip through the channels and watch TV while uh, while I was uh, in a tree stand. That's a pretty fun hunt. No, seriously, how did your hunt go? <laughs> I tell you what, I think I talked a little bit about my uh, my buddy's property uh, and it that it lays next to a property that has a lot, has some food plots on it. Um, but not close enough. Like their field edge does not, is not the borderline. So there's like, uh, I'd say about 20 yards of timber between my buddy's property and this food plot on mm-hmm. this one guy. So I was thinking I'd get as close as ethically possible, um, to this back corner and, uh, hang a tree stand in this creek. And hopefully something would come off my buddy's property or um, cut a corner of my buddy's property to get to this uh, standing cornfield. And uh, a lot of deer came out that night, but nothing came from my buddy's property. It was all from an, an adjacent property. So I basically just sat there and watched a parade. Was it fun at least? I mean, yeah, it was one of the coldest uh, hunts of the entire year. So... I mean, I had, I don't know about you, but there's certain late season hunts where I went to uh, Gander Mountain and I bought like 15 body warmers and just kind of, <laughs> yeah. I put them all over my body and everything was good except uh, the warmers I put on my feet just couldn't keep up with, uh, couldn't keep up with the cold. And by the end of the night, you know, you're kind of doing exercises to try to get some blood circulating to your feet. Mm-hmm. I've been there. Yeah, so no uh, no bucks showed up. It was probably about 13 does from what I could tell, and uh, that was it. Man, well, you, you got out there and at least give it a good shot. How, I don't know. For me, on my last hunt of the year, it's always like a really reflective hunt, you know, kind of sad. Kind of, It's nice that, you know, it's cool to be moving on to this new season, but at the same time you kind of look back on everything that happened, and it's always like – for me, it's it's like, wow, I can't believe it's already done. Like, you know, there's so much hype leading into it, and we're so excited, and then all of a sudden it's here, and we're, you know, it's just all this stuff going into all these hunts, and then all of a sudden, bam, it's gone. And I don't know, did you have any of those types of feelings? Well, you know, it's, it's kind of cool that you say that because I did do some reflecting on the buck that I shot this year and the – kind of the the area where he was at and I think that I I think I I I don't pay enough attention to this little small section of the farm than I you know I I should I should be paying more attention to it early season while the crops are still in and uh, I feel that's kind of what I was reflecting on and at the same time kind of looking forward to next season and how I'm going to approach it with the specific crop rotation that's in place yeah yeah thinking already about the tactics i like it the x's and o's all day every day Mm -hmm. don't tell my wife (laughs) i won't uh that's good though man i'm excited uh i'm excited to hear probably pretty soon in these coming weeks we'll start talking about our new plans and work being done i'm uh i'm already actually going to be getting out there not too long from now to start moving some things around so i gotta uh 
You got any property improvements that you're going to be doing, like hinge cutting or anything like that? I am. I'm definitely going to do that. You know, because we talked a little bit about how I want to make some specific adjustments to try to increase my chances to get a shot at Holyfield. Um, so I'm already thinking about trying to improve some betting because he wasn't betting on my property a lot. So hinge cutting for sure. I'm already thinking about trying to tweak my food plot placement a little bit. Um, because right now my food plot kind of ends right at a property line. And because of that, him and other bucks, you know, if, you know, they're, they're able, if they want to stay in the cover, they're going to be staying on a neighbor's property versus crossing it into the open field, which is my food plot. So I'm thinking about trying to move that farther into the interior. I, I can't move it a lot, but, you know, move it like 40 yards in or 50 yards in or something and then plant like native grasses or just try to get the current grasses to grow up thick there so that, you know, that cover that's traditionally on the neighbors will continue on to mine a little bit. So maybe, you know, he'll step over the line five, 10 minutes earlier um, that kind of thing. So I know that um, one of our, one of the guests on the show, uh, Drury, I believe it was talked a little bit about, I don't know, maybe it wasn't Drury. Maybe it was another guy uh, that we had on the, uh, on the podcast who talked about uh, um, food plot shape manipulation and uh, how it uh, affected deer movement. So is that, so it's, you're going to try something like that? Something like that, yeah. Adjusting the shape, adjusting the surrounding, kind of feathering the edge a little bit so that it's not straight from cover to field, more so it's cover to grasses to food plot. Just just little tweaks I can make. Um, that's that's really where I'm I'm putting kind of my, my focus on these next few weeks is thinking through all the little things I might be able to do. And I'm going to start I, – I got, you know – full two seasons worth of pictures of him now. So I'm going to be studying those pictures and looking for more annual patterns and see if there's anything I can, you know, unearth that I still haven't wrapped my head around yet. So, so all that kind of good stuff I'm excited about. I also got a new buck on trail camera in Michigan that I'm excited about really nice looking without a doubt, at least a four-year-old this year. So next year, I think he could be a five-year-old or older. He looks like an old big deer. Five-year-old deer in Michigan—is that even like—is that even possible? It doesn't happen often. But don't um, you guys like hire sharpshooters to <laughs> shoot them if they, they get too too old? It's sad to say that that actually sort of happens in some of the cities around here. <laughs> but, uh, but I just yeah, love it. Was it Ann Arbor? Yeah. Uh, it was like, hey, let's go, let's go uh, castrate some of these bucks, and that way they won't breed anymore. And that way, that'll control the deer population. Oh yeah, my man. god, it's a debacle. They're they're sterilizing <laughs> deer all over some of these towns. And that's a whole nother podcast, probably. I would love I would love to be in one of those meetings where these guys are just like, "All right, come on, everybody, we got to come up with some great ideas here." Oh, I got one! I got one! All right, what what is it? All right, uh, how about we uh, cut their nuts off so they can't make any more babies? I like it. I like it. Anybody else? Going once, going twice? No. All right, cut their balls off. Like, how does that, I mean? How does that happen, dude? It's crazy. It's 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 actually scary, in a, in a way too. You know, because if more and more towns start trying to do this and start saying that you don't need hunters anymore to manage deer populations, well, then there's this precedent. Um, that, you know, could continue to spread. And we don't need any more of a reason for people to try to say that what we're doing is irrelevant. Um, so it's something I think that, without getting too serious here, it's something I think we as hunters start to, need to start paying attention to and, and speaking out against because that, like, it's a slippery slope, I think. Right. 
And you know what really sucks is that when you say we have to speak out about it, it's like we have to be professional about it too. I can't go up to some of these people who have – that's their idea of how to handle a situation. I can't just go, that idea is dumb and you're an idiot. Right. That just – that doesn't work as much as I feel it should. Right. No, very true. That's uh, – I mean, we, we've talked about this a lot on the on the show and it's mm-hmm. – we have to, as, we as a community, have to continue to to focus on the fact that we need to be able to have rational conversations with people and, and hopefully help some people better understand things from our perspective. Because if we don't do that, the you know the national media story on a lot of these things tends to err in a direction that isn't really in line with what we believe and would hope people would would see. So uh, right. we've got to be those ambassadors. That's a fact, man. So yeah, that was a downer though. We we're we we're talking about deer and the exciting 2017 season then you had to start talking about deer sterilization well it would it wouldn't be an intro if we didn't take a hard right turn somewhere like into a ditch right (laughs) so now let's let's put her in four-wheel drive let's get back on the road and let's start talking about something happy i like it. so holyfield here's my question to you holyfield this year this upcoming year is he gonna be a five-year-old I think so. Yeah, I think he's okay. gonna be five. It, at times, you know, we, I think we I mentioned this earlier. At times, like during the season, I'd see him and I'm like, man, he doesn't look four. Um, like he looks, he looked like really long legged in some pictures or in some of the times I've watched him. And I'm like, man, maybe he's three. Um, but then I look at other pictures of him. He looks all chunky and blocky, like a definite four year old. So I, I don't know for sure, but I think I still think when I look back at him last year, I still think he was probably a three year old the the first year I saw him. So he's probably. He was probably a four and sixteen, so he's probably going to be five this coming year. But I, you know, I don't know one hundred percent. Right, right. Either way, that's he's gonna awesome. Be, either way, he's going to be mature and and awesome. Yeah, and that's. I mean, that's just. It's like we mentioned one of the last podcasts, man. It it's it is a direct result of you deciding to, I guess, get, you know, maybe if you he did get in close and you did actively hunt him late season, you would have had a shot at him, but you uh, decided hey i want i want this deer to grow another year older and uh i hope he blows up like like you know booner status oh that'd be crazy that uh, uh yeah no matter what he turns into i'm just i'm excited I'm, i am excited to see what he turns into even if he stays an eight pointer I, I, I bet you he's just gonna be heavy you know yeah. lots of mass and uh he'll be a cool buck so i just need to I shoot need him. sheds dude i know i gotta find those sheds and um if I'm if I'm lucky enough to get a shot at him, I'd like to do it before he busts off his antler again, like he did this year. Right. So uh, that'll be that'll be cool. But we got to talk about products and gear and all that stuff because yep. uh, that's what we've been doing this past week. Talking about gear, looking at gear, seeing new gear, seeing a lot of people talking about gear. Um, and you talk about gear a lot in your podcast, so this should be right up your alley. Oh yeah, I mean it's one of those things that as hunters. We, you know, we talk about hunting all the time, uh, you know, the, the strategy and the deer and stuff like that. But we also sub, you know, subconsciously, we're all thinking about gear, right? I don't know about you, but I'm always flipping through, um, 
you know, broadhead sites or uh, bow sites and just, you know, looking at their products and saying, okay, should I give this, this a try this year? Or should I give this a try? Or am I, am I really happy with what I currently have? Do I want to change it if it's good? You know, all the, all that internal conversation. Yeah. I, I don't know about you, but I like, I get some type of enjoyment simply out of like going to a Cabela's or Bass Pro Shops or something like that. Even if I know I'm right. not going to buy anything, like I don't want right. to buy anything. I don't have the money to buy anything. I just like to walk around, just like look at it. Um, right. I guess I think there's a lot of us like that. <laughs> well, Mark, there is no difference between that and what our wives do sometimes when they <laughs> walk into a, a men, or I was going to say Menards, that's a lumber store, yeah. but <laughs> when they walk into like a Dillard's or a JC Penney's, or, oh my God, this, this outfit is so cute. We just use different terms like, oh, this broadhead would really gash something, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. just, you know, men versus women. Yeah. I, sh- I feel like we shouldn't try to equate ourselves too much to them though because <laughs> – We'll get ourselves in trouble, but, uh, but let's, let's talk about our, our, our addiction to shopping for gear. Um, right. but let's get Josh on. Cause he, Ooh. I think, uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what Josh thought about the whole thing. You know, can you remember back to your first ATA? Yeah, man. It was, uh, it was one of those things what, where 1997 or something. Yep. It was 1992 and, uh, <laughs> I was 12 and, uh, <laughs> I was four. I was, yeah, no, I, uh, I remember just kind of going there and being overwhelmed with the whole, oh my God, that guy's on TV and oh my God, there is the president of a company or, you know, Hey, look at, look at this. Like it, you walk into that, that showroom floor and it's just big. It's just big and yeah. it can be kind of overwhelming. And we'll talk about that with Josh. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I felt the same way. So let's pause real quick here for a word from our sponsors at Sitka Gear, and then we'll pull Josh in to continue this conversation. So like I mentioned, we want to thank Sitka Gear for their long-running support of the Wired Hunt podcast. These guys have stepped up and been such great partners. And today, rather than sharing one of our Sitka stories, I want to just take a quick second here to give you a heads up about one of Sitka's big announcements that came out at the 2017 ATA show, and that was their launch of a female-specific line of clothing. Now, for the past few years, Sitka has been working with female designers, developers, and hunters to put together a set of clothing that's tailor-made to fit the specific needs of serious female hunters. And from what I've seen and heard, it certainly seems like they've achieved that. So with that said, there's going to be a lot more coming out about this new line in the coming weeks. But if you're interested in learning more now, you can head over to sitkagear.com women's to see a few short videos and to sign up to pre-order. Again, that's sitkagear.com women's. And now let's get back to this conversation and get my buddy Josh on the line. All right, we are back and on the line now with us for the first time is my good buddy, my lease partner, Josh Hilliard. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Good, guys. How are you doing? Good. It's been a while. Hey. Wait. What are you Canyon, yeah. does, does this guy have a does this guy have a nickname? Um. <laughs> You know, <laughs> you know that the only nickname that I can think of right at this moment, and this is a funny story, <laughs> is oh, is Furter. <laughs> Furter. <laughs> Furter. <laughs> okay, so I gotta tell this one. <laughs> I gotta tell this. All right, so 
Why did I agree to come on here? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so we can make fun of you for an hour. Duh. <laughs> you should have seen this coming, man. All oh, right. Man. So I grew I up. I grew up with Josh. You know, since second grade, we've been best buddies, and I knew his family really well, and we're always doing stuff together, et cetera, et cetera. And sometime in high school, maybe it was, we all started calling Josh Furter, F-U-R-T-E-R, Furter, and like me and all my buddies, we all started calling him that. And he never could understand why. He's like, we're all laughing. And whenever we see him, we're like, oh, I was going further. And then he'd get all frustrated. He's like, what the heck does that mean? Why do you guys keep calling me further? Um, and I don't know how long we continued it for months and months until we finally told him. It was, what the, it was longer than that. Was it that? Was it, it was probably in college when you guys told me. <laughs> He's probably scarred now. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Kenyon. <laughs> it really hurt his self-confidence, I think. <laughs> and it's the stupidest thing ever. His dad's name is Frank. And we always like to give his dad a hard time. And somehow we decided that since his dad's name was Frank, that his son's name should be Furter because of Frank Furter. <laughs> <laughs> and so for years or however long it was, we called him this. And the the nickname's not that funny. The only thing that was funny was how pissed Josh got about it. I'd so, so Furter it is. <laughs> and uh and still to this day it's it it's a good one. So <laughs> It's, it's kind Josh. of sad that's the best nickname I have. <laughs> well, the only one that's safe for work to talk about here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you what. Oh, now, now, do you have any secrets about Mark and his youth that are really embarrassing that you'd like to share oh, to uh, uh, all his listeners? Uh oh. I'm sure I could, but I'll I'll keep it uh, I'll keep it professional here. Yeah. So well, you can come on my podcast and slam then <laughs> yeah, if you want. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Good. So how about this one? <laughs> the, me in. This is one of my favorite stories about Josh. Um, so I, for the longest time, was trying to get Josh into hunting because he didn't grow up in a hunting family or anything like that. Um, we, went, we went out hunting a couple times in high school, and I can't remember if this was in high school or college, Josh, but I, we, he got a bow. I think, was that my dad's old bow that you first started shooting? Either his or yours. I'm not sure which one it was. Yeah, maybe it was that old PSE. Um, either way, so we, that, yeah. yeah, so we started shooting and I got him into that and, uh, <laughs> I told this story at your, on your wedding night. I was never supposed to tell this story, but we were <clears throat> shooting in front of my parents' house and we were shooting from the front porch and I had targets set up in front of the house and there's a hill that comes up in front of the house and then at the top of the hill is the road and then other houses on the other way. But because of the angle, we could shoot, and even if you missed the target, you'd hit the hill behind you, so you were safe there. Well, Josh had some way of pulling off a shot where he missed the target, he missed the hill, and instead he hit the driveway like 10 yards to the right, hit the driveway, the arrow ricocheted up in the air, over the road, and into the neighbor's car. Oh, yes! Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. All right, so, are we done? Are we done with this podcast? I think I was trying to get my... <laughs> we just had to initiate you. <laughs> so that'll be the last embarrassing story. Um, oh but, man! But you are you are. A good I'm sure sport. there's plenty more you could tell of, of me. I, I tend to have that quality of putting myself in bad situations where <laughs> there's, it always turns into a good story. It does. We've had some good some good times. I think, I think there's several stories you told on previous podcasts that I've been left nameless that are 100% about me. <laughs> That's true. I can think of one right now that I, w I won't pin on you, but it's one of my favorites. <laughs> it has something to do with a bag. <laughs> I'm just lucky Mark 
only knows me from a certain period of time in my life. Like if he had, if Mark had any of my buddies on the, uh, on the show, I'd probably, I don't know if I could have the guts to come back on again. (laughs) (laughs) Everything would be exposed. That's right. I think this is probably going to be one and done for me on here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Maybe, maybe we're being too hard on you. Um, so, (laughs) all right. So let's, let's get back on task here. We're talking ATA, Josh. So me and Dan have gone to it for years, but this is your first one. So first impression when you walked in there the first day, what, what did you think? It was just huge. It was like overwhelming to walk in there and think that I had to try to walk around to all these different booths and exhibits and talk to people and get information on products. It's like, how am I ever going to get to any of this? I mean, it's, it'd take me two days to get through one little section of it. How am I going to get through all of it? So it was pretty overwhelming to first walk in there. And, um, you know, we just kind of, when we first got in there, we kind of just did a little walk around and it was definitely big, but it, I don't know. I just figured I, I'd, I'd figure out some way to, to get to it all. And, I think I did a, a decent job of doing that, but um, it was it was cool. It was cool to walk in there and, I mean, almost immediately start seeing people you recognize from TV or web shows or, you know, magazines and stuff like that. So that was cool. Kind of a little bit like starstruck seeing yeah. some people, but I try I tried to play it cool. So <laughs> I, did you did you feel that fanboy? Anybody? Did you feel that way when you met Dan Johnson in person for the first time? I did. I did. Holy cow! This is. This is the guy from the Nine Finger Chronicles. Couldn't believe it. When when he shook your hand, did he do that weird nubbin shake that he does? <laughs> no, I That's don't. That's like second he... or third time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Got to ease him in. Oh man. Who who did you? Is there anyone who you really did like? You were really excited to see. Like who were you actually starstruck to see? Uh, it was cool to see the juries. Because like, yeah. we like saw them when we first started walking around, and that. They've probably been the the guys that I've watched the longest, just on, you know, DVDs and all that stuff. So it's it pretty cool to see them. Like, holy cow, they're they're right there. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, and it's cool to see Jim Shockey. He's a I've seen a lot of his stuff. So it, it's I mean, it's cool to see all of them. But probably the juries are probably the guys that I I like watching the most. So it's yeah. it cool to see them. Yeah, I, I remember feeling the same way. You know, when I, when I first started going. Um, but then what's what's cool about the show is that you quickly realize that these people are just people. Um and then right, you get you exactly. get to know some of them and you know lots of cool people too. So get to know some of these guys right. and girls and uh it is and, and Dan I'm sure you can attest to this even though it like feels like a big industry from the outside when you're like when you're kind of in it in this way it, it's like a very it's a very small kind of crowd too. Like you start to know right. so many people, don't you think? Yeah, that and yes, it's a big building and every but everybody in the industry is in there. Everybody. So it, you know, it makes it seem just a little bit smaller if you can think about it that way. And uh, and then, you know, after that first year or two, you go, it's just then you can have these conversations and everybody is almost on a first name basis with everybody. So that's kind of a that's kind of a cool thing, too. Yeah. Okay. so. AT is not open to the general public, but I mean, if you're associated with a company, a manufacturer, a retailer, or media or something, you know, usually those types of people can get in. Um, so, for someone who falls into one of those categories that might be listening, would you recommend 
someone coming to ATA, is that something you think someone should experience if they have a chance to, or is it like not worth the time? Josh? What do you, for sure. I mean, for sure. I think it'd be awesome for anybody to experience it. Um, it's probably not for everybody. Um, but it's one of those things where I feel like you should go to it once if you have the opportunity to, um, just check it out and, you know, talk with people. And if, if nothing else, it's a great networking event for, for people that may be in the industry and get their name out there and meet people that may have not met yet and get to check out some cool products while you're at it. So it's, I'd for sure recommend it to, to anybody that would have the opportunity to go. Yeah. yeah. What were you going to say, Dan? No, I was just going to try to, I was just going to pass. I, I was interested to see what Josh had to say. Yeah. Do you still like ATA, Dan? Like, I feel yeah. like when I first started, I was like, oh, so super stoked about it. And the way I feel about it has changed a little bit. It's not that I don't like it, but it's just different. Do you, what do you feel there? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, do you want me to share what I shared with you? Well, I do, but maybe we save that till after. Maybe, well, I don't care. What, what, what do you think about ATA? Because, yeah. Let me tell you, let me just start off by saying this, all right? There are so many cool people in that building. Right. I, I've made a ton of friends, like hardcore friends that I've met at these deer shows. Right. Um, I've not only met great personal friends, but I've met great industry friends as well. And uh, like uh, Josh said, the, the networking portion of it is awesome, especially when there's a positive message to be spread. That networking can snowball um, and, and you can find people who share, you know, that entire room. Not everybody is on the same level of, you know, shared passion, but there is it's it's the biggest gathering of what I feel would be bow hunting fanatics. Everybody in there is a bow hunting fiend and and loves to bow hunt and ha- and has some sort of level of passion for it from an industry standpoint. Yeah. But <laughs> Well, I guess I'll just get for, into for it. For you I guys mean, though, like Yeah, go ahead. Uh, this is, for, for me is like totally different than for you guys cuz I'm I'm just there. It was almost like a leisurely trip for me. Like, yeah, I was Right. I was helping Mark with, with social media stuff, but like I didn't have any pressure on me or you guys had meetings with people and trying to nail down, like, like Dan, I know you're trying to get guys in the podcast and recording some stuff for your podcast and Mark, you had business meetings. So, I mean, totally different pressure for you guys than it was for me. Um, right. So I, maybe that's why I had a good time. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think you're right. Like the experience is different too. Um, but I think, Dan, what you're alluding to is not only, you know, there's a lot of shared passion. There's lots of great stuff there. But I think what you're about to touch on is that sometimes that gets, like, clouded in some of this other junk, right? Right. Well, and don't get me wrong. You know, I'll be being <clears throat> blunt. Uh, along with you, Mark, I'm trying to maybe find a way – to transition from, uh, you know, a nine to five cubicle style job into this, you know, my podcast full time, uh, and potentially writing and stuff. Same as same thing that you've kind of done. And, 
you throw business in, you know, you throw money into a passion and it, it clouds the water a little bit. And there's, you know, there's everybody's trying to um, bite off a piece of the, these budgets for these, these companies. And it can be, it can make you feel weird. It's like, man, I'm trying to make money off my passion. And for me, this was the first year that I've actually had these, these meetings, not where I would be directly uh, affected by the outcome of it. So from, from that standpoint, it was a little, a little different, but what really concerned me and after the first day, I'm walking up and down the, you know, the, all these hallways and floors and, and looking at all these products. And don't get me wrong. It is a product show where people make deals and make sales. But I was turned off because I felt there was no emphasis on the animals that, that we hunt, which makes the bow hunting industry go, go around. If you don't have animals, if you don't have conversation or, um, if you don't have, uh, conservation, you don't have anything in this, in this room. So I was just a little turned off by how, you know, we're fighting all these battles, but at one of the biggest shows, bow hunting shows in the industry, there was no, there was no loud voice saying, attention, attention, we have to focus on this. Companies need to be involved with this, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, it definitely does. It's like, right, the business side of all this is like a necessary evil. Like, of course, it's right. part of it. And, you know, that's, it, it is what it is. And there wouldn't be, we wouldn't be able to do all the stuff we do if there weren't companies that make products that we can use and et cetera. We, we love hunting gear and products and all that kind of stuff. But I 100% agree with you. Like, sometimes it feels like, like when the gear and the money and like the fame of like some of this stuff like overshadows like what we're doing and why we're doing it, then that starts feeling off and wrong. And right. when you're at a show like that with so much of that, that's, it's like, I don't know. I feel like lucky. I'm like, Bleh. there's just like too yeah. much of that all in one place. Um, and to your point, like what a great opportunity a show like ATA could be to rally the hunting industry and all people right. that are part of different, different parts of it to come together to, you know, work as one group towards some of these bigger picture conservation and, you know, hunting issues that impact all of us. Um, and I just wasn't, like you said, I wasn't seeing that. I don't know if there was like some kind of little seminars or things where they talked about stuff, but I sure didn't hear about anything like that. Um, why, why weren't we using this event to rally the troops behind some of this public land stuff um, or different things along those lines where, you know, right. if we as the hunting industry and other people that recreate in the outdoors, if we don't stand up for this, you know, we're all of a sudden not going to have places to hunt. We may not have, you know, sustainable populations of animals to, to pursue. Um, and if there should be any event where that stuff is important, it should be at this event where the most money is being discussed and where the whole business side of this whole thing is talked about. If, you know, those people that care about making a living, these companies that make a living off of hunters and then, you know, by connection to that, these landscapes and these animals, um, if we don't have those things, none of this stuff goes round and round. Um, right. So I would have I would have loved to see a larger focus on some of these things. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's something we can try to find a way to encourage in the future. Um, I do know uh, the SHOT Show is going on right now as we speak. 
Um, that's, you know, the shooting side of this that's going on in Las Vegas, the shooting, hunting, and outdoor trade show or something like that. And um, I know there was like a seminar going on today that someone posted about where they had a panel discussing the importance of how we talk about hunting to the outside world. Um, right. And that's a, that's a good conversation to be having with a bunch of hunting companies when there's people from all these different parts of the industry there together. I think those are a good conversation to have. I think we just need to have more of them. And I'd like, right. I, I would have liked to see that be like a bigger part of, of what was going on at this event. Um, right. Cause there's an opportunity there, but right. yeah. And for, in order for it to change, we have to, we have to get involved. Yeah. I mean, so I know I feel like, for example, the national deer Alliance, their booth was in the hallway, right? Yeah. It should have been in the center of the building, you know, or some, some of the other, uh, conservation efforts should have been in the center of the building. Yeah. And I feel that, you know, it was in a side hallway. There wasn't very, so I, anyway, I went over to the deer, the national deer Alliance, uh, booth and I, I voiced my opinion, uh, basically to them saying, man, why aren't you guys out there? Or, or, you know, I feel that there was, there's no focus on the animal or the keep it public movement or, you know, all that stuff. And, uh, I pretty much volunteered myself to say, Hey, um, next year I'm willing to help any way I can. Yeah. And I think that's what we got to do. What we need to do is give a voice to that. Um, because, you know, at a show like that, as we talked about, you know, where people are placed is all placed. It's all based on money, you know, Mm -hmm. such and such huge company can afford the best placement on the show floor. And so there they are. But uh, it'd be nice to see the animal and the organizations that are working for the animal and the habitat to uh, to be front and center, too. So, yeah, I don't know. I I uh, I agree with your frustrations and I and another thing and we can we don't need to be sitting here having this rag fest, um, mm-hmm. but the other part of ATA that um, that always kind of like eh, makes me feel like a little off is just like I don't know I don't know how to say this without coming off like a jerk or something but yeah. There are a lot of people trying to become celebrities because of a hunting TV show or something, and they're really trying to right. pump themselves up. So there's a lot of this like pimping yourself out. I feel like, right. um, and and you could say that you and me are because we make a living off of advertisers and everything like that. So I'm not I'm not trying to sound hypocritical here. Um, I guess like it, there's just some some stuff just goes over the top, and you see so much of that there. And so that's like, eh, I love this industry. I love the people in the industry. Um, Sometimes stuff gets a little over the top, and I think I saw a lot of that at the show. Um, that here's a perfect example of that. So I'm I'm sitting talking to a guy that I've known for several years, and he's talking about this moose this moose hunt that he went on in Alaska and how it changed his life. And um, you know he got dropped into uh, the middle of the middle of nowhere on a float plane, and uh, he went on a like a seven day moose hunt where. If he broke his leg, he's dead. You know, one of those type of hunts. Yeah. When he's with another guy, and all of a sudden, like this group of this this one guy and a group of what I'm going to call yes men were kind of all kind of cl- close to us. And this one guy was frustrated. He's like, 
man, why isn't anybody talking to me? Why isn't anybody talking to me? You know, I got a great personality. I'd, I'd be perfect for a television show. I'd be, I'd be perfect for, you know, uh, for an advertisement, you know, and, and all this stuff. And these other guys were going, yeah, you would. Yeah, you would. You're going to be, you know, you're the next big thing, man. And they don't even know it, that kind of stuff. And I, I was just like, what the hell are you guys talking about? <laughs> and then the next thing out of this one guy's mouth is like, that's it, man. I got to talk to an agent. Like, <laughs> oh boy. So I had to bite my tongue and laugh a little bit at that. But, you know, just to comment, I'm not, tr we're not trying to hate on a guy for making a dollar out, out of, you know, off this because we're doing the same thing. Um, it's just, I guess, how it's presented is kind of where we see a little bit of conflict. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think if anything, you know, seeing stuff that makes us feel off. I think that is like um it's a great reminder for me to always be careful about how I'm conducting myself or presenting what we're doing um and the importance of trying to represent things the right way um or at least in the way that I feel is right um and you know probably rather than complaining the best thing to do is is to uh to speak with actions and hopefully go about things the way we right. think that that is is the is the the best possible way to do it. So I guess that's what I'm going to try to do. I'm trying to trying to look at some of the things I see out there that maybe I don't care for so much and try to make sure that uh, what we're doing here at Wired Hunt um, portrays something different. So I guess that was what ATA was good for me to see was what I don't want to be. Um, and then also, you know, there's certainly examples of, of what I would like to, to you know, yeah. to be too. So that's right. That's right. Can I, can I put a silver lining on that? Please do. Yes, sir. I think, and, and maybe this is just because I didn't notice it, but I didn't see as much of that stuff. Um, and maybe just because I wasn't paying attention to it, it could have been there. But I don't think maybe it was, and I don't think you guys are saying it was widespread, but coming from a guy who's never been there before, I saw a little bit of it, but it wasn't really something that like really stood out big time to me. So like, for what it's worth, I guess that's good. It's not, you know, yeah. it wasn't rampant or anything like that. It was there. There's a couple things that I saw, but um, all in all, I was, you know, I thought it was cool. Yeah, no, that, that cool is event. good to hear. And that's, we're, you know, we're probably more tuned into it because, or maybe we've just right. seen little things for so long that now we we just notice it more. Um, yeah, but, you're, but you're more is, yeah, you're apt to notice it. Yeah, no, that's good to hear though. Um, so to your point though, silver lining. Let's talk about the good stuff. Uh, the good stuff. The yeah. good stuff, because there was some cool stuff there. Um, Dan, do you? I guess real quick to you, compared to past years, do you think that the like slate of new stuff was better or on par or worse than what we usually see as far as like, exciting new products? Uh, I'm gonna say a little bit of average, right? So every year these companies feel that they probably got to come out with something new just so they make some kind of impact that way they get some kind of market share in whatever category that they're selling in and uh then they market that and that's how they you know generate exposure for new sales right so some companies you know some companies try to do that every year some companies you know take their time and try to do do it right and maybe take a little bit longer and then there's some companies that just have great products like I'll just use Lone Wolf as an example I mean I talked with the guy who owns Lone Wolf and he's just like 
I mean, if we're going to come out with something, it's got to be really good because we already have a product that's really good, if that makes sense. Right. No no use throwing some random new stuff out there every year if there's not real change, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. I kind of felt like the same thing. Like it was kind of on average. I'd say it's like it was like an average amount of new stuff, but maybe I just felt there there isn't all that much new and exciting. Like whatever there is is like little incremental improvements for everybody. But there wasn't like a whole lot of stuff that was like, holy crap, this is awesome. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Did you, Josh, did you see anything yeah. that you're like, holy smokes, this is it? Yeah, no, I, I felt kind of the same way. And I, I was talking with people, like, trying to find out, like, hey, what do I need to go see? What's, you know, what's the next big thing? And everyone was kind of like, well, there's not a lot of, you know, there's nothing really that major out this year. And it sounds like kind of a lot of the companies maybe kind of just scaled back a little bit this year or whatever the case may be um, from what I heard. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was kind of I, – I've a lot of the stuff I've seen already out there are just little tweaks to certain things, but nothing, um, you know, nothing like monumental, like, holy cow, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't get to look at products as much as I think that the two of you did. Um, so I want to hear about the, the biggest part of bow hunting bows. Did you guys get to look at a lot of bows? Go ahead, Josh. You talk first. Yeah. I looked at like all the major bow companies, um, I didn't shoot any just there's such a lineup around the, the the shooting walls to to shoot the bows and i just wasn't really interested in waiting in line to to shoot them um i didn't shoot any but just kind of the one that there's kind of like three that stuck out to me that felt good in the hand and looked good and um i, I like the halon from matthew the halon 32 uh that's a slick looking bow i really like the prime synergy centergy however you say that uh, that just interesting concept they move the they move the grip up to the center of the bow it just kind of really gets in your hand nice and then uh i've always been a fan of bear i i like the bear moment that was a nice looking bow so those are kind of the top three that i liked but i mean really all those big time bow makers all those bows are so nice and you know shoot nice so you, you really can't go wrong yeah yeah what, what did you think dan did did you shoot, i know ryan shot some did you shoot any Right. Um, I shot a handful of them. Um, like, but like you, I was kind of busy do, doing certain things, but, um, in talking to Ryan, you know, all these bow manufacturers out there, the technology just keeps getting better and better. And these companies are just putting out a better and better, more efficient product every year. And he, he did shoot every bow in that room and, or every flagship bow in that room, the new, new to 2017 models. And he's like, the difference between the cream of the crop, what he felt, and, uh, you know, the, the, there's, there's a low, obviously, then there's a middle. And all the middle bows are with, so close to each other that you can barely even tell. And then there's, he, he has like a, a top four that he, he called out that he really liked. And, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I shot a, I shot a handful of bows and man, I tell you what, you're going to laugh at me for saying this, but if there's anybody out there that gets the opportunity and I don't want this to sound like a commercial, but take a look at a company called gearhead archery. They make that double riser. Oh, this funky little thing. Yeah. 
So they just came out with uh, the T30 this year, and it is a um, it's it's a 30 inch axle to axle version because they have an 18, they have a 20, and a 24 inch axle to axle. So those are the really small bows, right? Yeah. Uh, first time I walked by, I'm just like, is this a kid's bow? I don't, is, is this like for fun? And then you start to learn about it and shoot it. Oh my Lord. I, I'm not going to say anything except if you get the opportunity to shoot a gearhead bow, shoot it. Well, I, I, I'm curious because literally I've, I've not paid any attention to it. What, what's right. the gist? Why, why is it so great? What, how, why does this double riser thing make it different? Okay. So from what the guy told me, and this is just like secondhand information from the guy at the shooting lane. Um, so it just absorbs more energy, right? And there's no hand shock, really. There's no, uh, all I can say is when I shot it, it's that, like that, that sound, that perfect sound, right? So I talked with an engineer on my podcast a while ago from Bear who was talking about sound and efficient bow. So if a, if a bow is loud and has some hand shock, that means it's inefficient, right? It's forms of inefficiencies. Now, if a bow is quiet and has little hand shock, then it's more efficient, right? So more of that energy goes to driving the arrow. Yes, that makes sense. Yep. So this, this particular bow, and there's other, there's some other bows in the room that that were similar to this, but just the design being able to keep my hand open. And it's like the tips of my fingers. I was able to rest on the inside of the riser because the, the rest is in between the risers. The sight goes in between the risers and the, the grip is dead center. So it's all I got to say is shoot it. Huh. it's, it's crazy. I mean, it is, it's one of those, do you ever remember shooting an old, older model bow? And then you pick up one of the newer ones, like it, your bow, maybe 10, 15 years old. And then you go and shoot one of these brand new ones and you're just like, Whoa. Yeah. Right. It's like that. Huh? I mean, I guess you, you gotta give them credit for trying something new. I mean, we just, we're right. just talk, we were just complaining about how there's nothing new anymore. So right. These guys are trying it. I mean, this this isn't their this wasn't their first ATA show. They I mean they've been around for like I think two or three years now. And uh, um, so this this T thirty they came out with two different models of it. One one of them is called the Mongolian, and it has those <laughs> curved up tips. Oh yeah yeah. So that one's I guess their speed bow, but yeah that's just one of the bows. Um, I shot uh, a bear LS something. Yeah, was that like was six really and seven LS six LS seven stuff like that. Yeah, yeah some, something like. Yeah. yeah, I think it was the seven that I shot, and it felt really good too. Those nice. were two that are come off the top of my head. Nice. Yeah, I wish I had gotten to check them out, but <clears throat> like we were talking about, I've always just thought the lines and the weight and stuff always seemed like Ugh, I didn't want to wait around with right. a bunch of people to shoot. But uh, but yeah, there's there's a lot of cool looking bows, no doubt about that. I think what I always kind of come away from this is like, there's always these incremental other than maybe this gearhead, um, you know, all these bows are, are, are really great. Um, it's just like finding the right fit for you. Um, you know, I feel like for some of us, like some people can shoot a really heavy poundage bow. That's not terribly forgiving and super fast and they're gonna do fine with it. 
Um, but then there's people who need something that's, you know, maybe not as fast, but is going to, you know, that the draw cycle is more, you know, I need a bow that I can hold right. back easily. I need a bow that I can get back easily. Um, I'm not that big buff dude. So, um, you know, I prioritize different things. So I think my biggest thing over the years has been just like, okay, what's the right bow for my fit and feel? Um, right. And testing those things out, I think is pretty important. Right. Yeah. And one thing I've took away from this whole experience is there's definitely no shortage of bow options out there. I mean, there's so right. many different models and companies and a lot of companies you never even heard, or they're, you know, smaller companies um, that are growing or whatever, but there's definitely no shortage um, of options to, to try and shoot and see what fits best for you. Yeah, that's I, for sure. I also, I also noticed that there was a handful of companies uh, I'll use new breed as an example that started off being a compound company, but now they're extending their range into traditional as well. Hmm. So they're, they're the, I think the industry is kind of seeing a little uh, spark in the, the trad world. It's true. I feel like there's a number of even like the big companies that were featuring their traditional options a little more. I know Bear obviously showed mm-hmm. off their traditional stuff. I saw Hoyt was, uh, you know, featuring their, I think they had a recurve or something that they were featuring there pretty prominently too. So there's definitely a current. Elite has one, yeah. Do they? Yep, I think Elite has a tra- traditional bow as well. Nice. What about accessories? Uh, anything on the accessory standpoint, stabilizers, rests, sights, anything stand out on that front? Josh? See anything, Josh? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, there's so many different accessories. I'm trying to think of a couple. I've never used one, but they seem to be picking up a lot of popularity as like kind of those offset stabilizers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, or like the sidebars. Like I know, uh, I think Trophy Ridge just came out with one this year, and there's a couple other companies that, that have them. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, interesting. I'd be, I'd be willing to try those. Yep, they mm-hmm. got one. Stokerized. Uh, yep. yep. Stokerized. That's the one I was trying to think of. Um, but yeah, definitely seeing like more of those options, which look intriguing. I, I wouldn't mind trying one of those at some point. Um, you know, nothing, nothing that really stands out. Um, you know, a couple of new drop away, uh, drop away rests and things like that. Uh, I think true glow had a new one. I can't think of the name of it. Um, uh, what was 2AD the, had a new one that they came out. Trophy Ridge had a new version too, right? The level, I think it's called yeah, the they, level. You know or what? Something like that. They they had like four or five new different um, sites, and then they also had the level, yeah, which is a a drop away option. Um, I don't think there's anything too fancy about it. I think it was just kind of a, um, if I'm remembering the right, and I could be completely wrong on this. I've talked to so many people. But I think what they said it was more of like a, um, like an entry level kind of drop away rest for the people looking to get into those at a, a decent price point. Gotcha. I could be totally wrong on that, so don't don't quote me on that. But um, it's like a, a you know a decent a decent option. Uh, I never shot one of those, so I'd I'd be willing to to give one of those a try too. So, what about you, Dan? Did you see any sites or rests or anything that were intriguing? Yeah. Uh, okay. So. HHA came out with a, a drop away rest, I think, this year. Uh, pretty simple. But 
they also came out and I, I know, I don't think they're the first person to do this, but they're typically a one pin company, like a one pin site company, Yeah, which you make adjustments on the side when, after you range the animal, you know, you make your adjustments on yardage. So they have this site that I kind of found interesting where it was, it's a three pin site, right? So you site in 20, 30 and 40, but, and you keep the, you keep the knob at 40. But when, let's say there's a 60 yard, you need a 60 yard shot for out west or, you know, anything longer than 40, you can adjust that knob back to, you know, 50, 60, 70, whatever. And then you use the bottom pin to, as your, as your, as the pin you want to use. So it's, it's perfect for maybe a whitetail hunter that is, uh, in the tree stand, but at the same time, it can be used for, uh, the spot and stock hunter where, okay, I'm going to range that bush and that bush is 40 yards away from that, uh, that, that bush is 40 yards away from that bedded animal. So I make it there. I got, I don't have to change. I don't have to make any adjustments. It's, it's either going to be 20, 30 or 40. If it's inside 40, I don't need to make any adjustments, but if he pops up real quick, then I can quick adjust and then use the bottom pin. So it's almost like a multi-site. So there's the tw- the 20, 30, 40 always stay the same. You set that. But then you can manually adjust the one pin however you want in the field as if you were using a single pin site the whole time, right? Right. So you keep, you keep the site at 40 yards, right? So then that keeps the 20, 30, and 40 pins are currently in range. Then you can move it from 40 yards and out. This is my understanding of it. And you use the bottom pin. So once you move it, the top two pins are off, but the bottom pin is on. Huh. So you use the bottom pin for the 50, 60, 70, whatever. And you, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. Interesting. I, uh, what do you use? Do you use a single pin? You don't use a single pin, right, Dan? You use like a three pin or something? Well, no, I used uh, – in the past, I've used uh, uh, a couple single pins. Then I changed to that React site. Oh, yeah. And now I think that that HHA kind of got me thinking about how I, how I hunt. And, you know, I'm going to be going out west this year. But I'm also a tree stand hunter, you know, for majority of the year. So it's like I don't want to have to change my gear before I come back to whitetail hunting. So right. I think this site, I'm looking to do like a revamp this year. Are you? So I, I'm strongly looking at that three pin site. Interesting. Yeah, I've got the five pin react. So I've got it at 20, 30, yeah. 40, 50, 60. Um, so that's, that's worked for me out West and here, but I know some people don't like having that many pins, you know, that, that yeah. can be tough on your site picture there when you've got so much in the way. So I get, I get the intrigue with, with looking at different options for some people. Um, yeah, as far as accessories for me, there was like nothing that stood out. Um, I don't know. That's one of those things that unless you go like talk to someone in detail, it's hard to like notice that, Oh, there's this thing and it's different because it drops away just a little bit faster or something like that. Um, but I'll tell you one thing that did stand out was tree stands. There were a couple funky, there were a couple funky tree stands and one of them 
one treat. I was just looking back on Facebook, Josh, um, and you did a great job posting pictures and everything. <laughs> and um, the Millennium tree stand that is like oh, yeah. a 360 yeah. degree big circle. That that uh, post you put on social media got shared like a thousand times, and like 20 million people or something <laughs> stupid saw that thing. Um, I don't remember the exact number, but it was 20,000 or I don't know. It was a lot of people. And right. everyone was commenting about how bizarre or interesting they found this tree stand. So correct me if I'm wrong, and I don't remember what it's called, but it is basically a a very large, like a, I don't know, maybe three and a half foot diameter circular metal yeah. platform. Yeah. Circular metal platform, yeah. Yep. And then it's got a swivel seat in the middle of it. And then that whole thing attaches off its side to the tree. Um, and then the right. gist is that you can sit on that and spin 360 degrees on your little platform, well, your big platform. Um, yep. But, man, that thing looks heavy and big and hard to get up in a tree. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like it's almost like a tripod stand that yeah. attaches to the tree. I mean, that's kind of what it, basically what it's like. Um, but, yeah, it looks super heavy. I, I can't remember the exact... Uh, um, specs on it for the weight, but I don't know how you'd get that thing up into the tree without having some sort of a pulley system or, or something. Um, Cause that did not look light. What it's you funny. Think? You said be, that be... it's funny that you said pulley because I was talking and it, nece- it wasn't necessarily the millennium stand, but I was talking to another company and the guy's like, yeah, just get uh, one or two of your buddies. First thing you do, climb up, hook a pulley up to a branch or uh, screwed in the tree. And then you just kind of have your one buddy hold it while you climb back up and, uh, yep. you know, attach it. I'm just like, Oh wow. Yeah, so that it's like, moon, is that the moon yeah. tree stand? Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. That was, those, I was going to say, too. yeah, that moon stand was nuts. I think, I, I think yeah. the idea behind it is cool though. Well, tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. So, so basically from what I remember and Danny may, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's it's like a cableless tree stand. So you don't have those classic cables on your lock-on stands that drop, you know, that connect the seat or the the center post to the platform. It, the the platform like folded back underneath the, or I'm sorry, the the T post like folded back under the platform, and then once you get to the tree, you open it up, and then you have to put a bolt in it to get everything to stay. And then, yeah, they said you had to like pull a, you know, do like a pulley system to get it up in the tree stand because the, the half moon pounds. shape one was like 42 pounds or something. Like, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. crazy. It's so heavy. Wow. Um, but it's similar to that Millennium stand where you have a bigger, um, uh, like, radius of, of shot opportunities, being able to stand on the side of it. Um, or, like the guy explained, you could, you know, you know hide your silhouette better. You know, deer's coming from a, some, from somewhere you didn't think you'd come. You can kind of slide around and get behind the tree of a, like a half moon shaped uh, platform. So definitely an interesting concept. Um, cool looking stand, cool idea, but just in terms of um, practicality, I, I wouldn't want to be lugging a 40 pound, 50 pound tree stand out to my stand. That's for sure. Out to my right. It's not mobile. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, no, it'd be it'd be one you hang in the off season and you leave there all year for sure. Right. Yeah. Right. Def, so. Definitely not um, the 
I guess maybe for specifically how we hunt lots of times, maybe not the best fit for us, but some people I could see, you know, there could be some yeah, interesting uses yeah. for it. Um, they, they did have a quarter, like a quarter moon, I think it's called yep. a quarter moon platform. I think that one was like 25 pounds. So that's a little bit more reasonable. Um, in terms of weight you just don't have the big platform like the other one did yeah it's still the same idea it doesn't have any cables or anything like that yeah so. now for me i like the exact opposite of that i want like the smallest lightest stand possible and um right. i don't know if you guys saw this one but speaking of millennium um i saw they have a stand called the micro light um it yep. is eight and a half pounds only eight and a yep. half pounds so that's lighter than my lone wolf stands by like two pounds or more um, right. and it's got that like fabric seat. It's not like a cushion. It's like the sling seat. Um, now the platform, mesh. the plat, yeah, it's a mesh. The platform looks really small, but that's never bothered me too much. So I'm kind of interested in that because, you know, especially with camera gear and then all your hunting gear in your pack, I always like, I'm always trying to find some way to cut weight just to make those long walks a little less uncomfortable or sweaty. Um, do you guys see that one? What was the name of it again? It's the micro light. Okay, micro light. Yeah, worth checking out. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, XOP, yeah, nice. XOP had like an adjustment on one of their stands. Those are like the similar to Lone Wolf stands, um, and they made those a little bit lighter too, right? Did, I think you posted that, Josh. Yeah, I posted something on that. Yeah, they. I think they, they're a little bit lighter, um, relatively all the same as last year. They just had like a different coating on their um, platform and, and things like that to make it a little quieter. Um, but yeah, those are pretty light. Um, but that micro light from millennium was the, the lightest one I saw, at least from the things that I looked at. Yeah. Um, were there any others that stood to, to you, Josh? I really liked the, uh, the Hawk tree stands. Um, that, what was that one called? The helium, I think what the was... helium is, is like, they, they have like an adjustable platform on it. So like, like I know, like I've got like an older muddy. I think it's like the muddy outfitter or something like that, where the the platform you can adjust it uh, if your tree is not perfectly straight up and down. Um, so Hawk had that on this new tree stand. They just came out with the helium. That was a nice looking stand. Um, all of their stuff looked looked really nice. Did it? I didn't see like a super lightweight option. I think they had one that was like 12 pounds. Um, but those looked like real nice stands. And Michigan Company, I'd I'd, I'd be willing to check one of those out in the future. Those look, looked real nice. And I think they had a new box blind too, which looked pretty nice. Yeah. I, um, totally unrelated to that, but I just started laughing cause I thought of something I saw on Facebook, um, related to another tree stand. And that was like the, the vine stands from summit. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. those yeah. are the ones that, you know, they make the ladder and stuff like all weirdly shaped. Um, so that, you know, it doesn't stand out in the woods so like other hunters won't necessarily see it or maybe so deer won't notice a ladder going up the side of the tree stand. And um No straight lines. Exactly, no straight lines. And that came out last year. Um but I just laughed because <laughs> um there's this song and you know it, Josh. Um it's oh gosh, I think it's the second week of deer camp that we always listen to on like on oh, the yeah. on yeah. the hunting CD. And at the end of that song they go, uh, treat every deer hunter like he's loaded. And um, so, somebody commented on a picture of the Summit Vine ladder stand and it just said, quote, treat every deer hunter like he's loaded. And then dot, dot, can you imagine trying to climb up this thing after a long night? And 
<laughs> and I just cracked up because when you look at it, I'm like, okay, yeah, that would be pretty tough to to climb up if you weren't feeling so hot the next day. I can't imagine Mark climbing up that thing not, you know, <laughs> being totally normal. You got one in. You got a jab. <laughs> yeah, I got one. I got one. No, that's a fair point. <laughs> what other interesting things did you guys see? Anything good? Trail cameras? Any good trail cameras? Um, a couple cool ones. Uh, at the, well, Bushnells came out with like a, some updates to their trophy cams. I've always been a fan of the trophy cams. That's what most of my cameras are. And um, I think just some increased megapixels and things like that. Uh, I, I don't think anything groundbreaking on those. Um, Bipoint think... has solar. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was I was actually going to ask if either one of you guys had seen that one, the Spy Point one. Yeah, yep. I walked by those. They're solar powered, so they've got. So I think they had the the regular camera. It's a solar powered option last year, they said. Um, but this year they're coming out with their wireless model and solar power option, which would be sweet. And what I liked um, about that is like, totally. I feel like there's some. I feel like in the past there were some trail cameras that had like a separate solar panel that you could mount above a trail camera to power it, but it was like really big and bulky and separate. But this one was small. I mean, like a very small little piece on top of the camera, and it seemed to be yeah. all one yep. like complete package. So that was kind of nice. It's all one unit, it looked like. Yeah, yep. especially for the yep. wireless cameras, which uh, seemed to go through batteries a little faster. Yeah. Um, I, I did put pictures of those up if, if anybody wants to check them out. Um and then Browning had like a Bluetooth connected, uh, you could connect it to it from Bluetooth, um, which sounds cool. I'm not exactly sure how practical it would be. You could maybe, I guess if you're hunting near it, you could check the pictures. I think it, they said it like went up to like a hundred feet or something like that. Um, so you could like, I'm assuming you could like check the pictures from your phone or something uh, via Bluetooth, but you'd have to be you know, somewhat near it to do that. Um, but some cool technology on that front, the, the possibility of being able to do that, yeah, maybe a longer range in the future. So, yeah, I like that. Yeah. That's kind of the big things I noticed on trail cameras. I think Reconyx has that ability on their new one too. It's like the micro fire or something like that. Um, yeah. I think if you're within yep. like a hundred feet or a hundred yards or something that you can check it from your phone, which I think that's gotcha. something that we're, that's going to continue to, to spread the whole wireless trail camera, whether it's over cell phone networks or if it's bluetooth or whatever um i gotta say i mean i know we were talking about earlier this year dan about you know is it too much technology are there some questionable things there and i got two i had two cell cameras for the first time this year and um i don't know i mean they were really really handy just to not have to be there to not have to walk back there um that was I, I was never put in like a weird position where I was like, oh, I, I have this picture and now I'm going to go hunt there. And, you know, I never had a situation where I had to make that decision um, that maybe, you know, could be questionable. So that was, you know, I know weird things go on with it that made me feel uncomfortable. Um, it just ended up being like a helpful way to avoid having to go in there and, and muck things up. So right. I don't know. That was nice. Right. Hopefully the costs keep going down on those. Well, that's yeah. All technology works that way, you know. Over time, the technology gets better, but the cost will go down uh, because it has to. I mean, that's how that's how that's competition. So you'll start seeing a lot of a lot of that technology like be probably come standard 
with some of these trail cameras here pretty soon. Yeah, I think so. Speaking of technology, there's another one. I think Stealth Cam came out with a 4K trail camera. And I don't know. I mean, that's that's like, do we need 4K perfect imagery of these deer? Um, I guess it's cool. But I've actually started going to like lower pixel stuff. Like I, I'd rather have more inexpensive trail cameras sometimes that maybe don't have the very highest of high quality pictures versus like one really expensive tough one. So sometimes right. I find myself like trying to figure out, do I want a really high quality one or do I want a bunch of cheapies that I can just spread all over? But I don't know. Interesting stuff. Speaking of uh, expensive versus non-expensive though, one thing I saw that I liked that I don't think is expensive at all was a new practice tip from G5. Um, what they did, which I thought was kind of interesting was they were looking at the fact that, you know, usually when you need to, you know, during the summer, you're shooting your field tips all the time. You're tuned in, you're sighted with that paper tuned, whatever it might be. You're shooting great. But then just before the season, right, you should make sure to test your broadheads just to make sure everything is right. And then, you know, adjust if you have to, to make sure your broadheads are flying the same. Um, but inevitably what you have happen is that you start shooting your broadheads. And number one, if you're shooting a broadhead or one of those fake, um, like expandables is you're tearing up your targets. Well, that's one issue. And then number two, lots of times it's going to fly differently than your field point. And so then you have to tweak your sight or mess up whatever you did to tune your bow just right. And now when you practice your arrows fly one way with your field tips, then differently when you're actually out in their field with your broadheads. So what G5 did is they actually using, I don't even know how to describe these different sensors and stuff, but all the different tools now that allow you to measure like velocity and all the different factors and variables that influence the flight of a projectile. They're able to measure all these things and they're able to make a field tip that flies exactly the same way as a broadhead, but it, it doesn't look like the broadhead. It looks different than the broadhead it's it's like a field tip with some fins on it a little bit, but it's very different than any of the practice that I've ever seen. Um, but ballistically or whatever, it flies exactly, has the exact same characteristics, and it is influenced exactly the same way by wind and resistance and all that kind of stuff as the broadhead. So they have a specific field tip paired to a specific broadhead. Um, and I, I thought that was really cool. Um, I don't know if they had that out for all of their broadheads. I think I know the one that they were talking about was one called thing was called dead meat was the new broadhead um it's an i think it was it's a new expandable um but they were going to kind of test it this year and see how people um you know received it and then maybe they'd build out field tips for all sorts of broadheads but i thought that was like a simple thing but like made all the sense in the world did you guys see that i did not see that i kinda, did not either kind of cool though right yeah it's yeah, science cool. i love science it's science Oh man, I don't know. Anything else? Oh, Let's you know, stick on broadhead. Oh yeah. Um, couple couple of ones that just look deadly. Uh, the Rage has the tripan out. That looks just ridiculous. I've seen a couple of pictures from. I think the juries are shooting them this year, and just some of the holes that they open up. Holy cow! Yeah, it's like two Crazy. inches plus. Um, yeah, it's like two inch plus. Um. Flip trick. They came out with a, a mechanical. It's called. I think it's called the Raptor trick, and that's like a two-inch cut diameter. Uh, NAP had a, a mechanical, a Spitfire double cross, and it was like a 
like a total three inch cutting radius. Um, it ends up being like a four blade mechanical, um, which is pretty cool looking. And they also came out with a fixed uh, blade called a Thunder Thunderhead Nitro. It's a little bit of a lower profile than some of the other uh, fixed blades out there. The guy I was talking to said they've been uh, real popular with the Western hunters, um, maybe taking some longer shots. Um, so those are kind of the the three main broadheads that I I looked at, or at least looked like um, pretty darn deadly. Huh. Anything else stand out to you, Dan? No, I, I'll be honest. Uh, I looked at very little broadhead companies while I was there for some reason. I did notice the slick trick, the, the new slick trick broadhead, uh, mechanical. But other than that, I guess I, I wasn't even drawn for some reason to some of the other, um, I stopped at a couple booths, but like wasp was one of them. I stopped at, I didn't, I don't think they came out with anything new, um, and what other broadheads did I look at? I can't even remember. But it just, I don't know. I, I guess I wasn't really drawn to broadheads this year. Yeah. You know something I noticed that was you know, kind of... You know who else had a... Mm-hmm. All you, Josh. Go ahead. I was just say Dead Ringer had a lot of new broadheads out. Um, yeah. They had a whole bunch of them at different price points and um, some cool-looking ones, too. They, they had a, a ton of new stuff out. And they were the ones that had that lovely advertising in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Inches matter. Yeah, that was yeah, well positioned. Well positioned right over the yeah. urinals for everybody to see. Right. <laughs> um, I was gonna say the the thing I noticed that was a little different was that um, Muzzy and Rage are now offering like broadhead and arrow combination um, packs. Like they're selling, I think, three arrows with three broadheads and field tips included all in one single package, kind of supposedly, you know, properly, you know, the right set, the right match for arrow to broadhead, et cetera. Um, and I think it was a gold tip arrow with each of those. I don't know if you guys saw that, but that was, I guess, interesting yeah, I thing did for, see that. for people that maybe are new to hunting that don't know how to maybe pair those. That might be something that would be helpful. I don't know if that'll be a trend that grows or not, but um, that was kind of interesting. That was the only thing I saw broadhead-related otherwise. Um, to your point, Dan, there wasn't, other than like the practice tip stuff I saw, there wasn't anything that really stood out. Um, you know, the the one other thing that I noticed that was really popular and lots of people were talking about that's totally unrelated but moving to a different category, clothing. We'd be remiss not to mention our friends at Sitka. Um, yeah who launched two really big new things that I don't know. I felt like the, I felt like their stuff was like they had people crowding out of their booth every time I walked out there. So there seemed to be a lot of buzz about it. They launched a women's line of clothing, which is uh, you know, specifically designed and tested and, and put together by female hunters, which is pretty cool. And then they also launched the subalpine um, new camouflage pattern and some associated gear which is designed specifically for big game hunters at lower elevations. Um, so those were pretty cool. Um, I know I've been hearing from some females that are pretty excited about that. And there's a lot of new com- clothing companies coming out. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Lots of them. And, and Mark, to your, to your point, that booth was packed the entire time. Yeah. You know, every time I walked by, just people, people coming out. And we kind of got the rundown from 
um, one of the people working the booth on the women's lines. It's just incredible the amount of detail that goes into it too. It's not like they just made them in like the, the men's line and a women's, you know, sizes. I mean, right. totally new. I mean, different heat mapping for the insulation and pocket placement, depending on like the, you know, the, the female anatomy and things. It is, is crazy. Just the amount of detail um, that, that goes into that. Uh, pretty pretty cool to see. I never would have I never would have guessed it. Yeah, you know another thing that I would never have guessed would have been something that so many people would ask about would be the new lacrosse boots in the Sitka Optifade pattern. Like I feel like everybody was talking about that, which is a simple mm-hmm. improvement, but uh, they look pretty sweet. I gotta I gotta give you that. That's probably the thing I'm looking forward to buying the most this year. Yeah, I got a pair <laughs> to try this. Got my short list of things to buy. Yeah, I tried a pair this winter, and they're they're very nice. I mean, they're, they're your typical Alpha Burley boot that's been that dependable rubber knee high from lacrosse for a while now. Um, but they look slick. If you've got, uh, I think they're available in, I think Subalpine and Optifade elevated too. So uh, if you wear either one of those camos, it it's a good look. So. Mark, I think it was the I think it was the elevated two and the duck, uh, oh, the waterfowl pattern. Good call. I don't I think, think it was right. the subalpine. That makes more sense too. Yeah. Well, Dan, is there any other product stuff you saw that's worth kind of running down? I feel like we've kind of slowly worked our way through a bunch of different categories. But was there anything that right. was like awesome? Well, I tell you what, you know. You go to these shows and you get the opportunity to meet a ton of people um, and they're I, I, I want to encourage all the listeners to do your research before you buy your buy any gear because just because there's a giant company that spends a ton of money in marketing it, don't make your decision based off that make your decision based off of what fits and feels right for you because there's there are a lot of smaller companies out there that make um make really good products so i I would say take a look at that and and kind of elaborating on the good people um the good people small business i ran into a company called rugged meats did you guys happen to run in run into that they're in a very small booth they were in a back wall where all you know you'll see a lot of these uh, a lot of these businesses with no like nobody at their booth they're just kind of sitting there and no one there's no no one stops at them so I uh, I stopped at their uh, I stopped at their booth and they gave me like a sample of this uh, this uh, meat stick it was made out of wild boar right so this company you know obviously in the south everybody knows that there's a huge hog problem right they're overpopulated they're destroying the landscape all this stuff so what this company does is it works with landowners to capture them alive take them to a processing plant and turn them into delicious food wow so it's i I thought it was kind of cool it's all natural food there's no steroids or any type of – it's 100% organic, and it is um, – they make these wild boar 
um, snack sticks, I think is what they're called. I'm looking at the guy's business card right now. And uh, they're really nice people. And it, it, for some reason, that just stuck out to me as a really cool takeaway from that show is, you know, you get to meet really, really awesome people at these shows who have these new and unique, you know, these unique companies that may go you know, may go unnoticed otherwise. So I felt the need to maybe shout out a company like that, that kind of has an, uh, uh, presented an, a new idea to maybe a problem, a solution to a problem. And, and these guys are kind of, uh, you know, making their dollar based off of a, a nuisance animal. Now they're not wild pigs though, right? I mean, no, they're, they're wild. They, they're not raised. These are these are wild boars like down in the south. You'll see like some guy shooting a machine gun out of a helicopter. Right. They're, right. They're they're these they're these nuisance animals. So they can't shoot them and take them into the processor because that goes against like the USDA regulations. So these farmers will set these huge traps up for them. They'll catch a whole bunch of them at one time and then they'll take them to the processor. And then this company buys the meat off of them. Wow. Okay, because interesting, because I was gonna say you know, it's it's illegal to commercially sell wild animal meat. You know, the commercial harvest of wild animals was was outlawed, but I guess that must be different in this kind of case, which is interesting. I, that's why my right. question. That's only if the animal's dead. So, interesting. So they have to bring them alive to the processor, and that way the USDA can get their hands on it. This is from my understanding. The USDA can get their hands on it, inspect everything, make sure it's clean and there's no problems with it. And, you know, and then they can then they can sell it. And I think probably a lot of it has to do with it being a nuisance animal. Right. Right. Well, hey, that's like you said, a creative solution to what, you know, sounds like a, a significant problem down in a lot of parts of the country. So that's kind of cool. And so I bought a, so I bought a couple and every night this week I've been munching on one of them. So they taste pretty good still. Oh dude, th their barbecue flavor is something that I would put in a pack like for, uh, for an elk hunt. I like it. I'm, I'm, I haven't eaten yeah. dinner yet, so I'm definitely getting hungry. Um, <laughs> speaking of, well, real quick, is there anything else other than that, Josh, anything else you want to make sure to mention that people should know about? Um, I don't know if people really care about it, but I thought maybe the most interesting thing that I saw there was like the eight or nine foot Sasquatch <laughs> 3D target from Reinhardt. That was pretty impressive. Right. I think that comes out in uh, 2018. They said but that was, that was pretty wild to see. That thing is huge. You got to get that and put it in your backyard, Josh. That should be your, your target. <laughs> yeah. But they My go over. Yeah, they go real well. Uh, speaking of elk. Uh, Josh, while we have you, yes, yeah, your first elk hunting trip. And Dan had yeah. his first elk hunting trip in the same place the year before. Do you guys want to commiserate on the fact that we can't seem to kill any bull elk there? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we'll just yeah, have to find someone else a... to go hunting with, Josh. <laughs> I know, maybe, Dan. Maybe you and I should go together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I was the common thread of the issue there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it was things. awesome. I mean, it was a it was a, a trip of a lifetime, and hopefully, I don't know if I'll be able to do it this year. But you know, 2018, I've I've got it penciled in to go go on another one. So I'm, it was it was a great time. It was a it was a tough week um, of hunting. Uh, our buddy Andy shot that cow on the first day, but other than that, I mean, it was pretty pretty tough hunting. 
um, until really the last day was the first time I saw a decent bowl the whole trip or second to last day. And, and then Dan, that's when I just got totally left behind by, by Mark over there with those long legs, big <laughs> running up this mountain. And I was just, I was dying. I couldn't keep Gassed. up. So yeah, it was, uh, I feel that the note to self to get in better shape for 2018. Yeah. But, or get um, a job that allows you to live in uh, Montana for an entire summer, huh? Yeah. 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 <laughs> be able to live out there for the summer and hike and get used to the elevation. And then maybe I wouldn't be so bad. Yeah. But, uh, it was awesome. If I'd do it again in a, in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, I guess I did have a little bit of an advantage there. That helps. How's your workouts coming, Dan? Are you getting, are you, uh, off to a good start? Yeah, dude. Spent, uh, 30 minutes on a treadmill today. Nice. That's good. Well, I think with that, we should wrap it up. We've uh, we've kind of rambled on for a little while here, and uh, and we're well past time. So, Josh, thanks for uh, thanks for catching up again with us. This is fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a good time. Hey, one more thing. Make fun of me some more, and I'll do another one. <laughs> well, Josh, it is your responsibility now to bring someone else in, so we don't focus on you anymore. Because as of right now, you're you're still the new guy. So the next time, bring someone else, and we'll just shame them. It's true. Perfect. I'll just start doing my research. <laughs> we're uh, we're gonna hopefully have uh, hopefully Josh will be out with me in Iowa this year too, Dan. So uh, you can uh, you can rag on him in person too. Perfect. Awesome. All right. Well, let's wrap this one up. But to do that, we first need to thank our partners who help keep this podcast on the air. So big thanks to Sitka Gear, Redneck Blinds, Huntera Maps, Yeti Coolers, Ozonics, Carbon Express, Maven Optics, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. We really, really appreciate their support. And also, haven't mentioned this in a little while, but if you haven't yet left a rating or review for this podcast on iTunes, that is a huge help. So if you happen to have an extra 30 seconds or a minute, if you can head over to iTunes and share with us your honest feedback, that would be awesome. Speaking of, we also just want to thank you for spending this time with us here today. I appreciate you listening. Hopefully you found this one interesting. Some of our, you know, our talks about some of this different gear, maybe that inspired you to pick up some exciting new things this year. And hopefully, most importantly, you'll stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.